As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's time for episode 116 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I've got a fun interview with Joshua Fialkov, writer of such great things including Skyman No. 1, recently released from Dark Horse, and The Bunker, a book that's coming out from Oni Press. He also does work for Marvel, including working on The Ultimates, so he's a name you should be familiar with. We talk about how Skyman came to be in The Bunker and other things. It's a great interview, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening. Then everything wraps up with a couple of items of news I think you should be aware of. We've got a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. Joshua Fielkov, creator of Skyman and The Bunker, among other good things. How are you doing today, Joshua? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Good. It's good to talk with you. I did want to mention that you have done some great things that I've enjoyed over the last several years, including like Tumor, which you got an Eisner Award for. I think I got, that's great. I got an Eisner nomination. I wish I got Oh, is that a nomination? I, the oh, Eisner correct. Award was stolen from my hands by Jim McCann <laughs> and Janet Lee's Return of the Dapper Men. Uh, and oh. Jim is a good friend of mine, but I will never forgive him for this this horrible <laughs> affront to our friendship. Like, does he not know that my ego needs fed? <laughs> okay, and then you have also done well. You won the 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 pilot season comics first award with Cyblade. I did. I did. I actually worked for Top Cow off and on for a few years. I really I did a bunch of stuff and winning the I won the pilot their very first pilot season contest, and I think we got like 1.5 million votes. 
wow. which sadly uh, we did not get 1.5 million sales. So I think that would have been oh, that's a shame. Nuts. Um, I think it was you know you have people who are just fans of those characters and they went crazy and they spent a month voting you know okay. over and over and over. Okay, but the thing I, I know you best for was, was recently when DC started the New 52, you were writing I Vampire, which I thought was a terrific vampire story. I loved it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm immensely proud of the work that you know that Andrea and Andrea and I did, and uh, Marcello and um, all the guys, all the guys on it. Um, we really we worked our butts off, and that book was uh, a challenge uh, to do a book that odd uh, at you know, at DC for the new 52. Um, so I'm immensely proud. It means a lot to me and the people, the people that it meant so much to, to people. Cause it just, it didn't sell great. You know, mm. like it sold sort of consistently though. Mm. So everyone who read it, everyone who read it really liked it, I think. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. It was, it was great from the start. I read it all the way through. So it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Now you also have written Dr. Who, interestingly enough, are, are you a, a you're a big Hoovian. I uh, I've been watching it since I was like four years old, probably. I have a I have a brother who's uh, nine years older than me, and I remember wow. being a kid, and he would watch uh, the Tom Baker serials on PBS, oh. and I would sit there with him and be confused by it all. Um, <laughs> and I specifically, the specifically remember watching um, the second story, the second Doctor's story. The oh god, it just went out of my head. Oh, the, it's the episode. <laughs> I just, Patrick, I, the Patrick, no, the Patrick Trout episode. I can't believe I can't remember the name of the episode. Oh, oh it's well. all gone. I'm gonna do it. No, it's gonna be good. Hold on, I got it. I can do it. Uh, <laughs> oh God, what is the name of the episode? I'll I'm tell you what. We'll, we'll... No, I'm gonna do it. Don't you? The mind robber. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Uh, the mind robber, which is the, the mind one robber. Of the, okay. One of the best. Uh, one of the best science fiction stories ever. Huh. But there's oh, wow. a scene early on in the first episode where Zoe. Uh, who is his uh, mod robot future mod future girl assistant climbs on the console as they spiral into another universe. And I actually specifically remember realizing how much I liked girls just, as, just <laughs> seeing her in a miniskirt. I was like, Oh, I don't like that. I don't like nine years old. And I was like, that is for me. That's what I'm <laughs> So I owe a lot to Dr. Who. I owe a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, wow! I, I haven't. Not many people that are fans of Doctor Who tell me stories like that. So that <laughs> sexual about their strange <laughs> sexual awakenings to old. <laughs> no, you know it's actually funny because I'll talk like people who are fans of the old show. I will talk about it, and that uh-huh. happened, and I'll bring up that moment, and everyone's like, "Oh, I know exactly what you mean." I know exactly. <laughs> people. You have to be the right. You have to have been the right age when you saw it. But you know, I think there's an okay. entire nation of uh, of you know guys in their fifties or sixties in in England who all have That's the exact same funny. feeling. That is hilarious. <laughs> All right, well, I want to get to your your present work, and let's start off with good old Skyman, which I had the chance to write a preview of for FirstComicsNews.com, and I really love the book. I have to tell you, you know, I, I also like very much Captain Midnight, which uh, the other Joshua, Mister Williamson, is doing, and I know you guys are great friends. Do you want to talk a little bit about how Skyman came to be? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it, it came out of, um, obviously it spins out of Captain Midnight and, and Josh, uh, Josh and I talk all the time and we've talked about, you know, what he was doing on the book and we've kind of gone back and forth about stuff. And I think at the same time, I've, you know, I haven't done a book at Dark Horse in a long, long time. And it was just sort of, I've been, you know, talking to them about finding the right thing and it all kind of just came together. And so it's, it's great because Josh and I talk so, like, we talk daily. So, you know, as we were working on the stories, we got to really, 
you know, complement each other and, you know, what he sets up in his book pays off, you know, pays off in mine. And, you know, at the end of the miniseries, at the end of the Skyman miniseries, what we create and what kind of comes out of that is going to feed into what's going on in, in the rest of the universe, mm-hmm. which is one of the, you know, it's one of the nice things about what Dark Horse is doing, like having, having a smaller universe. And I, I'm really lucky because, you know, my, my, I'm working on Ultimates. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been working on Ultimates over at Marvel and it's sort of the mm-hmm. same thing where it's nice because it's a shared universe, but it's very small. Mm-hmm. You know, so like we have kind of a wide berth to do what you want because you're not coordinating with 40 people. You're coordinating mm-hmm. with four people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I'm friends with Fred Van Lenthe as well. So like it's, you know, all the, you know, we all talk to each other and we all kind of share ideas and find ways to make our stories, you know, make each other's stories look better. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding is you're a fan of the Golden Age heroes. Yeah, I'm a big Golden Age comics nerd. I like I uh, the original Golden Age Sandman one of my favorite comics of all time. I, I like the Matt Wagner Sandra Mystery Theater stuff is great. Mm-hmm. But if you read those comics, even though they're from the forties, just as modern, just as smart, like they're great pulp stories that still work and still hold up. Which is actually, mm-hmm. even as a fan of Golden Age stories, like that's not something that's usually true. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Now, Skyman was a Golden Age hero, and now you're, you're bringing him back, just like Captain Midnight was a, a Golden Age hero. Skyman existed in the past as well. A different costume, different storyline about that. And the thing I love about the book so much is you're taking two untouchable subjects on at the same time. You're talking about racism, and you're talking about disability. And I think that, gosh, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with it. I wish this wasn't just a mini-series. I wish it was an ongoing comic because I could just – I'm convinced you could tell stories for years with these guys. Well, yeah, so I, mean, I just think well, it's great. And, you know, and it's something that, uh, like, I – you know, I look at comics, and it, it almost came out of, you know, the, the joke of it. It's, you know, like in the first issue, one of the things they deal with is after the first Skyman, after the current Skyman, who we met in Captain Midnight, humiliates the government and exposes this secret organization. You know, they go to get the next guy in line mm-hmm. and the next guy in line looks exactly like him because that's <laughs> how superhero comics are. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there's you know, there's the old joke that if you take off, you know, most of the male Avengers masks, you can't tell which one is which. Because they're all white guys with blonde hair. And if you take off, you know, if you take off, like, what's the best of the Batman-Superman crossovers are the ones where Batman pretends to be Superman and nobody can tell the difference. They look exactly the same. You know, so, um, so, so, like, that joke was, like, it's something that I've always kind of thought about and always, and always wondered about. And then I'm, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, like, overly conscious of, of, you know, the lack of diversity in comics, you know, and it's something. Oh, yeah. You know, even in my creator own work, like I try to, you know, I try to have uh, as diverse a cast as I possibly can, you know, and, and so doing this book, you know, that was the very first thing that, that came to me was like, if there's a program that's been 50 years of breeding the same guys over and over and you have mm-hmm. to reface it, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And the idea of like, well, you just get a black guy, get a black guy in there. And the, the, the simple offensiveness <laughs> of that yeah. mindset, but that's exactly, how that's exactly how PR looks at things. Like that's exactly the the mindset of like, well, we just change we just change the color and we're fine. And to do a story that's about that, that's about that idea, and that a guy who realizes like, well, they just they picked me because of the color of my skin, not because of the content of my character. Mm-hmm. And having him realize that the content of his character, you know, far far exceeds the men who have worn the costume before him. Mm-hmm. Is is such a kind of it's a nice story to tell and it's so much fun to do. 
Yeah. There's two things that I really, that, that brings to mind. The subtitle of the comic is that it says they tried to make a perfect weapon, but they got a hero instead. And I, I thought that's a wonderful line. I think that is so descriptive of what the comic's all about, right to the core. I like that very much. But the other thing, which goes back to the comments we were talking about racism before, I loved it when uh, one of the, the government uh, leaders says they were looking for somebody a little less likely to hang out at a Ku Klux Klan rally. I thought that was a, <laughs> that was a great line. I sat down, I laughed right out loud when I saw that. And that, that's such a great commentary on how comics have been so far. Going to this whole business about race, I don't understand why it is in comics there's such a struggle to have diversity in there. You know, I, I get a little unhappy. It's, it's self-perpetuating. You know, yeah. when when the bulk of the characters you're reading about are Caucasian, you know, yeah. are, are white, you know, rich guys, because that's really what 90% of comics is, is the stories of white rich people. You're cutting out part of your audience. And then, you know, and then the, the self-fulfilling part becomes like, well, then they'll do... You know, whether you have like the milestone characters or Jon Stewart or whoever, like when you create an African-American character and then because they don't do outreach and because they don't actually spread their arms out into the world, Mm -hmm. people of color don't know they exist. So it's like, well, you're not there's an audience. There's an audience out there. And I think the best proof of that is what, you know, Brian Bendis has done with Miles Morales and the Mm -hmm. ultimate universe. You know, like that's. Like, it's funny because I have nothing to do with any of that stuff other than, you know, I went under the Miles Morales stuff. But working around that and the importance of that character and just doing, book, you know, doing signings, sitting next to Brian and seeing that there's a huge audience uh, of, a, you know, a huge diverse audience of people who are looking for characters that they can look up to, who they can share with their kids. It, you know, it's something that it's always kind of at the forefront of my mind and it's something that, you know, I make an effort to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's, it's actually greedy on my part because it's like, look, there's people out there. There are readers who are interested in this. Like, mm-hmm. let's do that. Let's give well, them say, stuff that they can't get. Yeah. A, a lot of the stores that I go to, the majority of people, and I'm not trying to be racist or anything, but the majority of people who are buying the comics are, are African-Americans, mm-hmm. are black. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on. But, you know, I don't understand why we have to... S- take a person of color and put them into Spider-Man's outfit. And on some levels, you're doing that with Skyman a little bit. But on the other hand, if we don't know much about Skyman, that's actually a good thing because we haven't really gotten married to the character right. people today have. So this is a great chance to introduce a, a, a black character who's a hero in his own right and does things. And so I'm so happy when I, when I saw that he was going to be a black character. I was thrilled. I said, oh, yes, here's a chance for a, a minority character to take off and shine, you know, which is so hard to do these days. I don't understand why, you know, characters who are, you know, different, like Asian Americans and, and all other things, I don't understand why their books don't sell. I just don't get that. So I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're getting the chance to, to start off and, and go in a different direction and make this something that I hope will resonate in the comics buyers, you know, universes. And, and that's honestly, like, a lot of the credit goes to, to Dark Horse. You know, they were really open to it and I think when I, you know, when you walk in and you say like, "Here's what I want to do with your Golden Age characters. I want to do a story yeah. about racism. I want to do a story about the subtle racism of society, and specifically yeah. of comics." And they mm-hmm. were fine with it, and they were totally open to it, and you know, they were very supportive throughout. And I, you know, and I think it's, I think it, you know, it's one of the strengths of the book, and it's one of the things I'm proudest of. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want to spoil it, but towards the end of the issue, there's a certain thing that happens with uh, his, his handler uh, who has control over the, the, the uniform, and he does something 
to Eric to to kind of although Eric doesn't realize it, he's kind of showing who's boss here on on some level. And when he he actually flies in and lands next to President Obama, which I find interesting. <laughs> and the whole thing is just that. I, I just thought, you know, there's that – you're talking about subtle racism. There it is right there, and it's not so subtle because, you know, if he, if the lieutenant had actually not turned the power back on, I mean, it could be a very different book moving forward. Yeah. Well, and, it, and that stuff – and that's about, you know, he – you know, Sharp as a character, he was next in line. Like, that, in his mm. mind, like, this is his birthright. Mm. And again, like, that's, for me, that's about, you know, the reaction when you have – you know, when you change the race of a character, that's the that's the reaction people get. You know, mm-hmm. even you know, like when Nick Fury in when Ultimate Nick Fury first came out, like that was the reaction. It was like, mm-hmm. well, that's not Nick Fury. Well, guess what? That's Nick Fury. And like, now that is now Nick Fury. Else. You know, so yeah, it, and it's and it's dealing with that kind of like again, like dealing with that kind of stuff is really fun, and it's it's you know, while at the same time making what I think is a pretty fun actiony superhero comic, but to get to weave that stuff in. Is something that's it's really unique to comics, and it's it's one of the strengths of the medium, and it's part of why I, I love working in comics so much. Yeah. Now you know this reminds me very much of how Marvel started out back in like its sixties. You know, Spider Man would get a cold, and Invisible Woman have a bad hair day. Although I shot, I always thought she had bad hair days, but <laughs> there were Especially always when John other John Byrne was drawing her. Then it really <laughs> yeah. well, John Byrne, nothing against him, but he used to draw uh, women like ugly men. <laughs> and so, to me, you're doing things that I think Marvel used to do, and we don't see very much of from them is, is doing groundbreaking stuff, dealing with issues that are important to us today. And I think, you know, the the whole business about the disability. I mean, I cannot imagine what you know, Eric goes through when suddenly he finds that the, the, the belt allows him to actually stand up and walk again. I, I can't imagine what he's going through. And then he's up there flying. And I, I, I thought, man, what, how can this be for somebody who's been disabled? You know, it's got to be something that's a um, transforming experience for that. Well, it's also, and, you know, part of the idea is that it also becomes addictive. You know, so when he has to make decisions about, as he starts to realize the kind of corruption that, that's filled this organization and that, his predecessor was not the first bad seed to kind of go through it, to go through the Skyman project. You know, it mm-hmm. becomes that question of like, well, what do I do if you take away the thing that, you know, not only makes me special, but the thing that fixes me, the thing that gives, you know, uh, lets me, mm-hmm. you know, take away the pain for a little bit. And that's something like I have chronic pain. I have a, I have a neck injury from, mm-hmm. you know, from when I was in my 20s and I was too stupid to ever go to a doctor. So I have a perpetual oh. neck injury. And, you know, and so I spend, you know, I'm in fairly constant agony, um, and on medication and all that stuff. And so it's, and it's one of those things that you, that, you know, people don't really think about, but like you get used to it, you get used to being on painkillers, you get used to being on, you know, you get used to being on drugs to, to take that pain away. So when you take away that crutch, what, you know, what does that suddenly do? And so what's nice about the book is, you know, even though I'm a I'm a white guy from Pittsburgh, like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot in it that I identify with, and there's mm-hmm. I think a lot in it that people get, you know, race aside and and you know the differences aside, like it's really about what it means to make the mantle of who you are, to live mm-hmm. in the shadow of who came before you, and you know, and that's something that as a writer, you know, you get on a book, you got to put on a book that has a long history, and you have to do that. You have to find mm-hmm. ways to make it your own. So you know, it, it's. I like I I try to in everything I do I try to find a way to to take something personal something personal about myself or it but you know something that I wrestle with and put it into the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's great. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize the personal connection, and I'm really sorry to hear that that, that you're going through that. Oh, no. But, uh, I, I've been going through it for so long, I don't even notice anything. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, my mother had like tin ear, and she could – every time she was listening to stuff, she said she sounded like – heard like a wee all the time. And so you know, she'd listen to things, but some parts of her hearing were gone because that muffled up some of those sounds. <laughs> and so – you know, but after a while, she said, well, you know, I don't even notice it anymore. <laughs> so it's – Well, you, yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is it's, it's on – for Eric, it's kind of both sides of it. It's that he's he's just getting used to the th- the fact that he's going to not have full use of his legs, and that he's going to have to deal with you know chronic pain when it's kind of miraculously taken away. But again, it's all about the price, like the price that you end up having to pay for that. Wow. Oh, that's good. See, this is all intriguing me all the more. I want to see what's going to happen. You've got four issues, and obviously you've got a storyline that's going to come to a culmination within those four issues. Do you have other stories that you, should this go well, be able to maybe turn it into an ongoing or to do other kind of Skyman stories yeah, moving I would, forward? I would love to. I really, like I said, I really like a lot. I really like all of what Dark Horse is doing. and I'm a big fan of finding ways to make superhero comics fun and light and and you know everything that drew us into comics and i I look at i look at our responsibility as comic book writers and comic book artists now specifically about how do we get more people to have the same experiences that brought us in you know Uh as the industry as the industry has kind of shrunk Mm -hmm. i actually genuinely think that that's one of the reasons is that there's much there's much less whimsy there's much less adventure comics these days Um, and I think, you know, there's some, there's obviously there's some exceptions, but I think if you look at the books that really excel and the books that really capture people's imagination, that is the one thing that kind of unites them. Look at, you know, you look at a book like Saga, like it's heavy and it's got big ideas and it's crazy sci-fi, but at its heart, it's like a fun love story. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why it's reverberated with people, with so many people. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also one of the things I enjoyed very much about the issue was the art. I thought that Manuel Garcia did a beautiful job of making it easily understood what's going on, because some artists are so great that you can't tell what in the world they're drawing. But his stuff was very clear and very concise, and I thought, you know, it, it really, I never had to question what was going on. And I, I just think it's very solid, and, and I'm looking forward to how he's going to handle all four issues with that. Yeah, he he does a great job. Like, it's, again, it's... Um I don't want to spoil it, it's hard to talk about, but we get some pretty complex stuff, especially as we get into more of the aerial, you know, more of the aerial combat. Um, and he really, he really excels. He really excels at that stuff. So I think when you see issues two and three, um, and especially four, you're going to see some pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And it works, it works beautifully. And it really, the flow of the story is really my favorite part of this book. And, you know, when you're, when you're doing guys, you know, fighting, you know that high up in the sky, I think it gets hard to track action. Like it's it's just one of those hard things. And I think the book reads. I think you know Manuel did a great job of keeping it clear and concise. Okay, you you've tickled some things in my my mind as to what's going to happen in the fourth issue, and I'm not going to ever try to do that because I don't as much as the do <laughs> stuff's called major spoilers. I don't want to be spoiled, but you just encourage some thoughts in my head, and I just thought if, if it goes that way, I'll be really interested to see how this all develops. Now, I did want to ask one thing about the costume, and that has to do with his cape because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like the cape comes out until certain times, like when he's flying. Uh, is, is that there to help him be able to fly, you know, uh, more exactly? or is that just kind of a design element? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> it's one of those, you know, it's funny, like, as you develop, as you're developing a story, especially when it's a character with kind of ill-defined power, you know, powers, you sort of kind of figure out, like, what works and what doesn't work. 
So I think, you know, the cape is one of those things that we were using it almost like it's for steering. Like mm-hmm. he has it for drag and for lift. Like it's, it's like a, like a complicated aileron on the back mm-hmm. of his body. Um, mm-hmm. but then it also becomes about just making it look pretty and making it work. You know, yeah. you know it's, the one thing that interests me too is that for the longest time, and, and Joshua, you're a big part of this, is that you know the superhero stuff was largely left to the big two, as we like to call them, and other comics companies sort of steered very clear of the superhero genre. But you know, I'm happy to see the Dark Horse, especially like with Captain Midnight now with Skyman, and likely hopefully some other stuff coming out. I'm so happy that you guys have not left that to the competition, that you haven't just surrendered the whole notion of superheroes, but you're actually taking a, and making a very strong spin and an upgrade, I think, to the, the, the superhero genre. And I'm really happy to see that. And I just I wanted to say, I, I don't know who at Dark Horse you know, is into this, but you, know, the, you and, and, and Mr. Williamson have really done a great job of setting, I think, a, a platform from which other superhero comics can be launched. Well, that's, it's really Mike Richardson. You know, Mike, Mike has, I think, always envisioned something like this. And, you know, he, you know, now he's going to kind of execute his vision. And, you know, he's, you know, when we first started, it was, we had a long conversation about, you know, the universe and everything. And that guy has everything worked out in his head. And I know him and Williamson work together very closely. This is, you know, Mike Richardson is, is the visionary behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And so all credit, all credit really goes to him for it. It's, and he's, you know, like the guys, he's could more, he's, he's helped facilitate more important and amazing comic books than almost anybody, you know, this mm-hmm. side of Stan Lee. And so that he gets to kind of do this, you know, he gets to do his fun superhero thing, I think, is a, is a, good, is a great reward for him for all of his hard Wait. work. Well, you know, decades and decades of superhero stories have been told, but but Captain Midnight and Skyman are very different storytelling techniques with very different characters from what I'm used to, and so that's got me really interested. I just think it's spectacularly done stuff, and I'm just anxious to see this stuff moving forward. I, I hope that there turns out to be a Dark Horse verse or whatever, and that's got all these interesting and new and unique storytelling done in the superhero genre because I don't think it's dead yet. I think there's plenty left to tell, but people settle in and do they do the same old, same old. And I'm glad you guys are stepping out and doing something different and unique. I like that. Thank you so much. Now, I, I couldn't let you go unless I got to talk with you a little bit about The Bunker, which I think is a wonderful – It was first it's been a, a digital, and now it's moving over into print. Do you want to talk a little bit about The Bunker and how that uh, yeah. story came to be? Sure. Uh, the Bunker is like my life's blood. It's the thing that, that really drives me. It's what I work on every day of my life. And it's my passion project with Joe Infernari, who's just a brilliant – he's doing literally everything. I'm really just holding the bag for him. He draws and letters and designs and colors. And, uh, the guy's amazing. So The Bunker started life as a digital comic. Uh, we did it through Comixology and then through our own website. And it really did amazing for us. It got a ton of attention and it's really, um, it's been just a crazy ride. It's a sci-fi drama. We'll go with that. Um, it's a story about a bunch of kids, a bunch of, a bunch of 20-somethings who are graduating from college. And, uh, they go for one last kind of weekend together, one big chill weekend. And, um, while they're out, they discover a military style bunker from the future that contains proof that each of them will contribute to the apocalypse. Yeah. Just amazing. I, I mean, I'm gripped. I've read that, you know, you, you helped me get a chance to be able to look at the coloring of it because I think the digital version is mostly black and white, if I remember correctly. The digital, it's funny. Joe, will go, Joe goes crazy because it's actually not black and white. It's like, 
I think it's Duotone? tritone. It's like tritone. Oh, tritone. But okay. it's really yeah. subtle. And what he did is he, Joe and like Joe and I are both in the like, how can you? What is the psychological warfare element of comedy telling? And so what he did that was really cool is that the way you could tell the difference between the time periods was through this subtle tending. And you don't notice it, but it actually subconsciously helps you to understand where you are in time and space, which is really important in a time travel book. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so what we did when we moved over, because we originally did it in sort of the, the landscape format so that you could read on your path sideways. Um, mm-hmm. But when we were moving over to print, we wanted to make the book uh, you know, native, print native, so to speak. So we actually, Joe went back in, he took apart every single page. So wow. he literally broke all the pages back into panels. And wow. then we reassembled from the five digital chapters, we reassembled them into a new and improved first print issue. And then wow. along with that, he did the coloring process and all that stuff. So like, it's something where like we haven't, no, none of the facts have changed. The book is the mm-hmm. same book. The story is the same story. But it's presented in a slightly different way. You know, there's a little bit more to... Uh, like there's some added depth to some of the characters. There's some extensions of some scenes. There's some stuff that's been deleted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really it's like a special edition, and it's it's not the uh, it's not like a director's cut because the digital comics are also exactly how we wanted them to be. But it's sort of a hybrid, and it was really about how do we make this match the medium. You know, and the guys at Oni have been fantastic about it. They've really been super supportive, and they're you know they love the book, and they they have committed themselves 100 percent to seeing it through and and really you know getting it into more hands. Because, you know, when I was reading the book, I couldn't help but feel like, what if I was one of these people? You know, what if I was in this group? You go out and you actually go to plant like a a time capsule and -hmm. you get there and you discover there's one there already. Yeah. You know, and and all this, I just, it's so, I mean, it's 180 degrees away from superhero books, but it's so gripping and so enthralling. I got to know what's happening next, which which means I got to know. Now, you had the first five issues out through Comixology and your website. Are future issues going to come out through Oni only, or are you going to continue to do them digitally? So it's going to be, there's only going to be one format, which will be the print format, but it will be available both from Oni and then on uh, and then on Comicsology as well, um, and we're talking about the we're talking about doing the DRM free downloads which we did the first time. But honestly, surprisingly, almost like the sales. I mean, we sold like a twentieth of the sales of Comicsology when we did it through as a DRM free sort of which is surprising because everyone's so pro everyone's so pro DRM free. But it turns out like I think convenience still trumps digital rights. You know? mm-hmm. Well, I, I love it. I just, I, I have to say, I just was, the moment I got to, to get into it and I started to go through and I started buying them and I started looking at them, I was like, man, this is unlike anything I've ever read in, in comic stories. It was personal in the sense that we can relate to these people. And yet, you know, like I said, I, I see myself in this group. You know, I, It's like I'm sitting there watching everybody else around me going through all this stuff. So it's a great story. Man, I, I you know, that's, did you, you know, got, that's something, you know, that's something that, I kind of try to pride myself on is a lot of my work, especially the creator owned stuff. Like I said, I, I try to draw from my own life. And I think every one of us has had that moment of realizing like, Oh God, if I could do it all over, if only I knew, if I knew, you know, yesterday, what I know today. And so to have them, you know, to have these characters who are going through it in, in a much more dramatic and, you know, arch way than any of us would actually go through it it still sort of relates to how we feel because we, we understand, like, if you knew 
that you know the girl that you were gonna date for the next five years was gonna ruin your life, would you still <laughs> date her? Like, would you still uh-huh. would you give up? You know, there's pleasure in there too, but it's ultimately gonna lead to to you know, it's ultimately gonna lead to heartbreak. So do you yeah. still do it? And and that's you know you you get that within the characters. You know, you have one of one of our characters is a he's a geneticist, and his dream is to feed the world. And the story he finds out is he is going to feed the world, but by feeding the world, he's also going to poison the world. Wow. You know, you know, that's his contribution to the apocalypse. And so the, the question becomes like, well, so what do you do? Do you just walk away? Like, you know that you're capable of this great good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't just walk away from that. The, solution, like, the answer is that, well, I'm going to do it better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do, I'm going to take, I'm going to take, you know, the risk because the reward is so great. And you know, See, and is, that sort of stuff, like that, to me, that's the sort of stuff that we all kind of deal with, you know, in one way or another already in your life. Well, this book has already had me awake at night, thinking, well, how about this? And well, it's going to go this way. You know, how's this all going to work out? So, I love a book that does that to me. When I can't get it out of my head, I keep thinking, now what? Now what's going to happen? And that's what the bunker is to me. I just go like, I don't know what the, what's going to happen next. And I love that because I've read for years, and I usually can tell when or where a book is going. And I can sit there like I watch a TV show. And go, oh yeah, they're going to end up with this, that, and the other. But with your writing, I can never know where you're going. And I think that's one of the best things that's ever in writing is just being able to fool an experienced writer like me i think that's terrific well thank you that's it means a lot to me and that's you know again it's something i kind of pride myself on i love twisty turny storytelling especially Mm. when at the end you see why especially Mm. by the time you get to the end when you see like oh that's why all these things happen and that there's a there's an internal logic to it that makes it all kind of hopefully work and sing well, you're likely dangling stuff out there. I don't realize it yet, but you're already setting up where we're, where we're going. And you want to go back and say, oh, that's why that happened, and that kind of stuff. I love that kind of thing. That's, I just think that's great. So I think The Bunker is a terrific book. I can't wait for the, the issue to come out. I'm going to have to have good copies of it to keep in my little library because I think it's wonderful stuff. It's in previews right now. You need to pre-order because I pre-order Creator on Comics. They never show up. So okay. make sure you tell your, your local retailer. If you go to onipress.com, you can find out all the order info and everything. Coolness. All right. Well, all this is good stuff. Do you have any other projects coming that we should be aware of? I'm one finishing up Ultimate's Cataclysm, wherein Brian Bendis and I are destroying the Ultimate Universe. <laughs> um, and uh, depending on, I don't, I don't, I don't know when uh, this is going to come out, but depending on that, there's going to be a couple more Marvel projects announced in the next couple weeks cool. that I'm working on. and. What else am I working on? And then I got another creator-owned book that's also going to be from Oni Press that'll get announced later this year. And that's kind of it. I'm really, I'm really focused on, you know, the bunker. The bunker takes a huge amount of my time because it's incredibly difficult to write. <laughs> like it okay. is the hardest and slowest book I've ever written. Um, mm-hmm. because it is like everything I do now has to be paid off and has to have some sort of consequence down the road. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's a Sisyphean task to kind of manage it all. And I'm again. I'm really lucky that I have Joe and and then I have Robin and, and James at Oni, who editorially are making sure that what I'm writing actually makes sense. Do you like working for the different companies at the same time? I mean, does that give you more freedom to do that? Because you're working for Oni and you're working for Dark Horse and Marvel at the same time. Does that fit your creativity better than say working with one company in one universe all the time? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's benefits, but I'm very practical. And I've been doing this long enough that I know that any of it can go away at any at any one time. 
And mm. so you kind of have to. So part of me is like a paranoia there. I like to have I like to have my finger in as many pies as possible so that when mm. people start taking those pies away, I have a couple more left. This is really just about how much I like pie. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> okay. Okay, because as a, as a buyer, I just the only thing that gets it, it makes it a little tougher for me because I have to go out and, and seek your name out a little harder, but that, you know, that's perfectly fine because it's worth the effort to find out the stuff that you're creating because it's always going to be a good payoff. So I really like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best thing you know, for fans or people who, who like what they see, the best thing is to follow me on Twitter because I'm just the kind of guy where I have I have a wanderlust. I like being able to work on my creator own one day and a superhero book the next day and you know a horror book the next day and I you know I've worked in video games, I've worked in TV a bit, I've worked in film, like I've worked all over the place. And I, I like having the variety cuz I get bored really easily and I like having different challenges. Part of the thing with comics, it doesn't pay, it doesn't pay great. So there's lots of challenges that you you get to work with whether it's restrictions or like you'll free like you know i've i've done lots of you do lots of work for the big two and you you get lots of like you we want you to do a story about this i did it like i did it's the best examples i did a spider-man story and uh they were like once you do spider-man story but you can't use any villains uh you can't use uh the daily bugle you can't use this was this was when i think this was probably when Spidey, when like Dan Slot was just starting his runs, so they were kind of still building what the book was going to be. So it was like, "Gay's Mary Jane." You can't use any of his girlfriends. You can't use Aunt May. And it was literally like, "So you, I want you to do a Spider-Man story where the only thing you have is Spider-Man." <laughs> and it's actually like a. Re- it's, it's funny when you realize, like, oh, that's right. Like this is a great character, and I don't need all the artifice around him. I don't need all the other stuff because he <laughs> works. Like he <laughs> works so well. And it's like I said, it's a fun challenge that you get to do. <laughs> I say this often to people. I, I'm creeped out by the current superior Spider-Man. You've got this old guy in a young guy's body, and he's making passes at Mary Jane and stuff, and that creeps me out. I must be the only <laughs> one that feels that way. No, I think that's part of what that's part of what makes that stuff work. Dan's a Dan's a genius. That guy's amazing. He's so he's so damn talented. It's really frustrating. It's really hard for that. <laughs> And keep up with that guy. <laughs> well, you do very well on your own, too. I love all the stuff that you're doing, and I hope you have a lot of success going forward because I want to read more of the stories you want to tell. So, man, all the best going forward, and uh, keep up with Skyman and make things work. I just think it's terrific. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And like I said, people can follow me. I'm on Twitter at Josh Fialka. So if you want to see more of what I'm doing, come on by and follow me. examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man I'm flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol get the latest from the comics universe news interviews previews and reviews listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics podcast so you can keep reading your comics now at Majorspoilers.com
This week there are two important news items I feel you need to know about. Yes, that's the theme from the 1960s Batman show starring Adam West and Burt Ward as the dynamic duo, which they used to be called. And this year we've come to find out that Warner Brothers Entertainment will be releasing the complete series in a box set. How about that? It's been years and years and years. There's been a big fight over who has the rights to release it. And so we're going to finally get to see those come out. Now, the movie had come out in the past, but not the series that ran from 1966 to 1968. Of course, Adam West became a well-known name, still a name that people know from his voice work on things like Family Guy and other places. But it's amazing to see. We're going to get to see Yvonne Craig even as Batgirl in the third and final season. There were great villains, of course, the Joker, Cesar Romero, the Penguin, Burgess Meredith, the Riddler, who was played by Frank Gorshin, and the three different ladies who got to wear the Catwoman outfit, and that included Lee Merriweather in the film, Julie Newmar first in the series, and Eartha Kitt. And, of course, there were a lot of other celebrities who got to be in the show because it was a big deal back then. The whole idea of camp was brought about by the show. You had Otto Preminger as Mr. Freeze. You had Milton Berle as Louis the Lilac. Vincent Price played Egghead. And Liberace was Chandel and his twin brother Harry at the same time. And then we also had Zsa Zsa Gabor playing Minerva. So that kind of gives you an idea how popular it was back in those days, if any of you younger folks have any idea who those people are. But uh, it was announced recently by Conan O'Brien, and he was pictured in a Batmobile from that era, and he had this funny saying that the seat smells like Adam West, who of course sat in that seat for many years. So it's a wonderful thing. I think people are going to finally get it. We don't know an exact date, but it will be coming out shortly, because there's lots of money to be made in that. So enjoy your Batman. And the other piece of news is something I didn't realize until just recently. There is an animated movie called JLA Adventures Trapped in Time that's an original animated movie that's coming to Target, and it should arrive on January the 21st. I don't know about this. I never heard of it. It's actually been in the works for a while, and Target actually has exclusive Justice League merchandise. So they'll be the only retailer you can go to to get this direct-to-DVD animated feature. The story, which also appears to feature at least two members of the Legion of Superheroes, as well as Batman sidekick Robin, will be directed by Giancarlo Volpe, who also directed Green Lantern, the animated series, which I liked. And not only that, it's going to have Frederick Viedmann, who provided the score for Green Lantern the animated series as well so I think it's going to be well worth the buying it's going to have a 52 minute runtime and features the design work by Linnell Forstall from DC Nation it includes a Justice League lineup that is pretty traditional and with a few additions and also Karate Kids in there too speaking of the Legion the voice cast includes Greg DeLeslie 
Dante Bosco, Jack DeSena. Now, Diedrich Bader, who did the voice of Batman in Batman the Brave and the Bold, so I assume he's doing Batman, is in there, as well as Jason Spizak. And I'm sure I butchered a whole bunch of those. But if you want to get that, on the 21st, it'll be out in Target. And they don't know whether Cyborg's going to be in it. It's a JLA branding, much like when Grant Morrison was writing JLA instead of Justice League. So we'll see what goes on with that. But I just thought people should know about this because... I didn't know about it either. So, JLA, Adventures Trapped in Time, with also the Legion characters in there is a big draw. So, be sure to pick that up. And that's the news for this week. And that's it for this episode. Be back next week when we'll have more interviews, news, and other items. But until then, keep reading your comics. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.